leading Pharisees' houses. And uh, this pretty much, uh, until verse 24, is all based upon this context. Some really, you know, interesting uh, actions, teachings, uh, you know, Jesus proves to be a rather rude house guest, I guess you could say, but we'll look at that over time. So chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him a man was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. So he's there at uh, one of these, uh, one of the leading <coughs> Pharisees' houses. He's willing to go to the house of even self-righteous Pharisees because they need him too. And he's on the spot. I mean, they're watching him. You know, they're scrutinizing every move. It must have been nerve-wracking. You know, they're trying to come up with some incriminating slip. You know, it reminds me so much of what politicians do. I mean, you know, just ransacking every detail. I mean, you think about how often politicians will come up with some obscure detail back, you know, years and years, maybe decades before, about the the person trying to use it to discredit them. So, I mean, they're just they're just pouring over everything Jesus does, and and I think this situation might have been a setup. You got this guy suffering from dropsy here that I think they might have kind of planted there to see what Jesus was going to do. Now, what in the world is dropsy? There's a note here that says, a swelling of the body due to retention of excessive liquid. Which is correct. So dropsy refers to the symptom, really, not the disease. The swelling, that's dropsy. You don't know what that's caused by. Congestive heart failure, kidney failure... You know, it might be several options. So this is just kind of uh, referring to the, the symptom. But he's, he's bloated, you know, he's uh, you know, filled up with, with water, retained fluids. And uh, Jesus says, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And what's their answer? They kept silent. Why? They couldn't win. Yeah, if they say it is, then they can't accuse Jesus. If they say it's not, well, who wants to argue that it's not right to heal on the Sabbath? And they want to complain, they want to criticize, but they don't want to come up with a positive statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jesus healed him. And then he said, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? If it was your child, for that matter, if it was your dumb animal that fell into a well, what would be the what would be the danger of falling into a well? You could drown. You could drown. What's wrong with this guy? He's drowning. He's drowning. So you wouldn't even make your own animal wait. You're gonna make <laughs> this guy wait? You know, showing that they're partial. It's their animal. Oh no, we've got to get him out on Saturday. If it's this poor fellow. Oh, well, he can come tomorrow. You know, uh, so I think that's a pretty uh, powerful response on Jesus' part. They could make no reply to this either. They're, they're finding themselves being silent often here, aren't they? You know, what do you say to that? What could they say? So, uh, 
I'm, I'm just impressed with Jesus' poise and just extremely wise, perceptive answers. Man, it's like, I wish I'd have thought of that. That's a great line. I mean, that just that just puts them back on their heels. What are they going to say? Thoughts and comments? I, I think I have heard somewhere that the phrase, and he took hold of him, refers to like, sort of like hugging him, like holding him, grasping him, as opposed to just like reaching out and grabbing his hand. But I don't know. I don't know why mm-hmm. I think that. Which would make sense if you were going to squeeze the extra water out of him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, <laughs> painful, I think. <laughs> there she goes. Yes, it does. It did with my mother-in-law somewhat, but mm-hmm. kind of leak sometimes. Not a very pleasant uh, picture. All right. So, well, remember the context. We're here at dinner in one of the leaders of the Pharisees' houses. This is probably a, um, you know, pretty high-class affair since he's a leading Pharisee. You know, what do they talk about? Black tie affairs? Or I don't know. I'm really not in high society stuff. Uh, do they wear black ties to those, I guess? Is mm-hmm. that the idea? They touch the tails. <laughs> yeah. Why black tie? A black tie is better. Like it's not a pattern. Or... A lot of times you wear a white shirt. <clears throat> if you're a really nice place, you'll mm-hmm. wear a dark suit and a white shirt. So you have a black, black tie. tie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> so this, this may have been that kind of a thing. Uh, at least you can imagine there's status involved with this. So Jesus... You know, he may be being watched, but he does plenty of watching with his own. And he notices some things that lead him to giving some, um, what would you say, uh, counsel to the guests. And then he turns around and gives some counsel to the host. You know, probably... Not the best editor. You know, don't go to somebody's house and start criticizing where the guests are sitting and who the host is inviting. But Jesus does. So 7 through 11. When he began speaking the parable to the invited guests, when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come to you and say, Give place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. So when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So Jesus is watching this game of musical chairs they seem to be playing where everybody's trying to jockey for position to get the, you know, most elevated seats. They hadn't listened to Proverbs very well. Proverbs 25, 6, Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, Come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. So again, you know, Jesus is picking up on some Old Testament teachings, but it's like, these guys... I mean, all they care about is glory and honor. They want attention. 
And Jesus is seeing them, and he realizes, he knows the game they're playing, he knows exactly what they want. And so Jesus says, this is not a good idea. You know, somebody invites you to a wedding feast, and you take one of the you know, highest seats, and then somebody really important comes, and the uh, master of ceremonies has to come to you and say, listen, I'm sorry, but there's somebody you know, really important that needs this seat. And then what are you going to have to do? <laughs> sit at the table by the kitchen. <laughs> Why? That's all that's left. Exactly. Everybody else has been doing the same thing. They've occupied all the seats, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the greatest one available. So he has to sit down at the bottom, you know, because he was, you know, too glory hungry. It'd be better if somebody noticed he was sitting too low and said, oh, please move up higher. That would be, you know, better. So we shouldn't promote ourselves. We should we should let other people recognize us. Uh, he somebody has said, "He who tooteth not his own horn, the same shall not be tooted." So that's kind of the philosophy some people have. I'm going to have to promote myself. Nobody else is going to do it. Uh, but so so think about how this how this is practical. I mean, you know what happens when I don't know um, they're looking for somebody. They're looking for some people. Uh, to do some big important job, I'll do it. I'll do it. Pick me, pick me. I want to do it. You know, how do you look at people who who more or less do that? How do we see them? Like these Pharisees. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'd say immature. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like uh, you know, just be quiet. <laughs> you know, think about when when like elders are chosen in the congregation. I didn't know this personally, but I knew from some guy who, who knew the church very well that a particularly pretty good-sized church was picking elders. And, like, you know, it became pretty clear they were headed that direction for, like, six months. This guy was just like, he attended every service, and he was, you know, went out with everybody, had everybody into his home, you know, went and visited the hospital, everybody in the nursing home and all this. And he hadn't been doing that before, you know, politicking, more or less, to get chosen. He was, actually, I think which is not a good thing. Uh, but it's like, wow, that just, hey, if, 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 this, if this is something you think is an honor, don't you ever suggest yourself for it. If somebody else says, listen, you really need to do this. We, we, we really need you for this. And we want you to, and we feel like you're qualified, okay. But this idea of always having our hand in the air and just trying to promote ourselves, mm-hmm. it's just, it's embarrassing. Uh, and it's 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 not humble, you know. Um, we we've got to quit wanting to be seen and be recognized. And, and of course, Jesus is not talking mostly about table matters. He's talking mostly about our position in spiritual realms and just our attitude toward ourselves, the humility we ought to have. We ought to have. But you can imagine that probably made people a little tense <laughs> when Jesus talked about that. Thoughts in common? Mm-hmm. I think it's fine to volunteer even eagerly for something, but you can just kind of tell the people who are volunteering because they're excited about the work or something that needs to be done versus they're volunteering because they're excited about being seen. So it's mostly what you're volunteering for. If it's cleaning the bathrooms, yeah, feel free. Volunteer all you want. (laughs) You know, if it's something that everybody sees as a great honor and you're doing it so that you can get attention. No, you know, it needs to be, like you say, because you care about what's done. And even at that, 
in some things, it's just not really up to us to suggest ourselves. You know, um, we were just the other day, I think this was a good way of doing this. We talked, some of us talked about it ahead of time. Um, you know, our treasurer mm-hmm. just moved. And so he'd been the treasurer the whole time I'd been there. Uh, and so we needed to find somebody else. Well, how do you do that? You know, and somebody suggested, well, we'll take volunteers. And fortunately, the guy who was chairing the meeting was, you know, had thought this out and said, you know, that's probably not the best idea in this situation. You know, because you know, the people who are going to say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, may not be the people who are the most respected, and you kind of need somebody pretty respected to deal with the money. And so what we finally did, which I think was a good idea, we talked about what kind of a person do we need? You know, kind of what are some of the characteristics? What, you know, most, what kind of what it involves and, and kind of the idea. And you know, you'd be somebody who, you know, everybody's kind of going to respect and trust and things like that. And then we gave everybody, you know, a sheet of paper and said, write down three people that you think would be well qualified. And then we sent the three of the teenagers out to, were you in that? No, you weren't there for that, Mrs. Lee. Uh, three of the teenagers out to uh, to tabulate the votes, and they came back and told us. We we asked him to tell us the top two, but there was a tie, so he told us the top three. And one of them is moving also, so uh, <laughs> he couldn't do it. And the other two, we kind of talked back and forth, and you know, one of them said, "Okay, you know, it wasn't the one. Neither one of them was really like, hey, I really want to do this.' But they were both willing, and they were both men older than me." that we all respect very much and really good choices, you know, which is better than, you know, just this idea of, okay, I'll do it. Some things it's fine. If it's if it's cleaning the bathrooms and doing things that are, you know, tasks that just somebody needs to do, it's good to volunteer. Although even at that, have you ever noticed the guy who just volunteers for everything? It doesn't do anything. <laughs> That's not the way that is, as a matter of fact, you know, now that you mentioned it. But, but it's almost like we have this compulsion. We think we've got to do everything. Well, some things just need to be spread around. I mean, you know, even if you'll do it, don't do everything. I mean, you know, share things. You know, don't always be the person. It, it's great to to host things or to to do things, but but I mean don't make don't make it a monopoly because it's good for other people to do things too. So it's just kind of a balance that we have to think about. Maybe it depends on what you're struggling with, right? Like yes. if you're like <laughs> over eager, you probably should rein it in. If you never volunteer for anything, it's probably time to right. You know, yes. do something. Yes, just <laughs> step up or just do it quietly. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and don't let, even let anybody know who did it. Yeah. You know, that's always cool. You see that done every once in a while, where somebody just goes and does something, and you even, nobody knows, but it needed to be done. Somebody noticed it. You know, we, we were bad about this. We're not super organized, but we had a period of several weeks where we didn't really have a building cleaning list. And uh, so, you know, people just kind of started noticing. And without really saying much, your family, I know, cleaned the building two or three times in that time. And there were a couple other families that did. And just because they just saw it, and they just went and did it. It was like, wow, isn't that cool? You know, I never said. I mean, I happened to be at the church building a lot, so I noticed. But I suppose other people never, some people, they didn't know it had, we didn't have the list. (laughs) 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 But that kind of thing, that's awesome. You know, because there's not a lot of glory in that, especially if nobody knows you did it. (laughs) 
or just me. So, I had other thoughts. I'm kind of floored that people actually did this. I mean, like, to me, I'm just like, that's the most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of people who do things that are pretty bold and trying to jockey for attention and glory. I mean, it is amazing sometimes, but I'll tell you. I mean, you just see... Don't you see people just like saying things that just you can tell they want attention? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like you're embarrassed for them. You know, it's, you just kind of cringe. And it's like, you wonder, mm-hmm. they just don't get that. Wonder what I say like that. You know, because we don't see it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we don't ever need to say anything. And you see some people who aren't seeking glory, and they can even give a personal illustration sometimes, and it works fine. Because they're really not trying to draw attention to themselves. But the ones who are, it's just awkward. And you think, ah, man, you don't have any self-respect, do you? It's, it's, you know, and then, I don't know, Jesus saw it. And I think it's more, I mean, well, think about the disciples. How many times did they argue about who's the greatest? I mean, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, we want people to think we're the greatest, but we usually don't argue about it. I mean, maybe we do. More than we think we do, but it, it just shows you. I mean, human nature is a lot like that. Well, he's got some things to say to the hosts, uh, the host, I guess, as well. So, uh, 12 to 14. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he criticizes where the guest sat and who the host invited. (laughs) Who should you not invite? Your friends. Your friends. The people who can pay you back. Why not? Because they might do it. They might pay you back and that'll be all you get. You know, invite the people who really need it that you get no, you know, return from. Now, he's not saying don't ever have anybody you like in your home. But he's saying the real hospitality is not having your best friends over all the time. That's not hospitality. That would be fun. But if you're really trying to serve and help people, serve and help the people that aren't any fun. And the people who won't be able to invite you back. The people who need the help. You know, we can sometimes pat ourselves on the back because we're so hospitable to our three best friends we always love hanging out with. You know, well, no, that didn't really, you know, that that may be cool and maybe fun, but it's probably not hospitality. You know, are we making a sacrifice? Are we really sharing with people who need it? And I think that's a very perceptive observation on Jesus' part. You know, this is the generosity that's self-serving that's not really generosity. And again, Jesus is frank in what he says. Thoughts and comments? So it appears they were identical to the guests. I mean, the only reason they were having the party is to glorify themselves. Say, hey, you know, I invited you to my party. (laughs) And hopefully to get an invitation back. Yeah. You know, so that's how Jesus dealt with it. I wonder how we should deal with that situation today. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, the first thing we ought to do, certainly, is to avoid these errors and not seek glory and not, you know, use our hospitality in self-serving ways. We ought to be, ought to be self-sacrificing. Um, you know, and there may be some times we need to, you know, correct. I mean, we're not Jesus, but, you know, these <coughs> attitudes need to be dealt with. But the first thing certainly is to apply it to ourselves, yes. Isn't this what was going on in the book of Ruth with that closer relative? Like when he was going to redeem the land, he said, oh yeah, I'll redeem it, you know, help out my family member. But then when you realize that there is this, you know, this woman who was going to inherit the land after Naomi died, well, this is not so much an investment as I thought it was. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Costly. Yeah, we're willing to sacrifice when we don't when it doesn't cost us anything. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think you see very self-centered attitudes in in us. I mean, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, how much are we like this? How much are we self-centered? You know, how much stuff do we do that's really focused on ourselves? We're trying to get attention. We want people to notice. Or we want to be invited back. Or we want to have fun. And we, we glory ourselves in the fact, oh, look at all we did. But we weren't doing it for the Lord or for other people. We were doing it for ourselves. I mean, that's the scary thing. You can do good stuff, but it's really for you and not for God. What do you do about the good stuff that needs to be done that you also like? <laughs> like, there's some things that, like, need to be done, but you have to be seen doing it or like does that make sense yeah so that's a that's a challenge because it's hard to do something that will be seen and respected and not be very self-aware in that and then when you're self-aware about it you're like oh like it kind of builds on itself so i think our goal is to focus on the lord to seek his will and just to forget ourselves you know, it's, you know, being humble is almost a byproduct. The more you seek to be humble and the more you're trying to make <laughs> sure you show off your humility, the less you are. Humility is almost just not thinking about yourself. I've probably used this illustration before. But one of the m- more humble men, I think truly, that I, I was able to be somewhat close to, was the summer I spent in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1980 with Odd McKee, who's, I'm sure he's still alive now, but it's so really old. But he was 60 then. And, you know, he was a good man and active and, you know, was preached, was preacher and, you know, a lot of meetings and things like that. But I, I spent the summer with him kind of interning or shadowing him or whatever. And, you know, my idea was I learned by asking questions, so I asked him tons of questions. But questions I asked him about himself, he struggled to answer. Not because he didn't want to answer, because he didn't think about himself. And I really noticed all that summer, he didn't think about himself. And he, he focused a lot on other people, a lot on the Lord. He was very dedicated. He was very capable. did a very good job. Very down to earth. I'd heard him preach a lot growing up, and I always enjoyed listening to his lessons. I always learned a lot and found them very practical. But he was just very focused on, on what needed to be done and I just don't think he ever really thought much about himself. I mean, he just really wasn't his focus. And and it wasn't like he was running himself down all the time. I mean, that can be very self-serving. He didn't do that. He was just kind of, he did he did what needed to be done. I, I think we've got to work toward that. Work toward just not thinking about ourselves. 
Um, and, and you see what happens to people who are self-conscious. You know, we're either feeling all embarrassed and, and worthless and, you know, inferior and inadequate and we can't do anything right, or we're feeling all prideful and, you know, full of ourselves because we did it so well. You know, so we go from pride to low self-esteem and back and forth because we're focused on us. And I think we just got to try to take that away. But that's a challenge. So we, it's not that it's wrong to do something that'll be seen. It's wrong to do it to be seen. I have a note here that this is physical and spiritual, which made me think it's not just about giving an actual banquet, but when you're inviting someone to church, you're inviting someone to Christ. Are you inviting are you inviting your best secular buddy who, hey, if he was a Christian. We could hang out all the time, and it would be really cool. And <laughs> you know, he's going to be a, a a good, healthy contributor to the church treasury, and can sing and, and all of this, as opposed to that ex-convict who's homeless and still has a few issues with his language and uh, personal hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and you see, who did Jesus reach out to? Who was he received by? Who was he willing to be close to? And it wasn't necessarily the people that would be attractive people. And it wasn't the beautiful people. So, yeah, a good point. You really see that sort of false humility in Saul early on. Um, you know, he didn't want to be king and he was hiding in the baggage and he didn't want to go out to his first battle. And you know, you see that and you think, oh, he's such a humble, good man. Um, but then when he gets on top, uh, he becomes very proudful and you know, doesn't want to share limelight with David. Um, you know, compare that with David, with his encounter with Goliath. David almost kind of looks cocky, but I think really he's just confident because he's thinking about God and not about his ability. Excellent comment. Amen. Well, I, I wondered how to read verse 15. But I'm seeing this as somebody in the audience, somebody in the house, that's really getting stressed about Jesus' um, you know, <laughs> rather outspoken comment. <laughs> So he says, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, let's change the subject and talk about something happy. Won't it be great when we all get to heaven? You know, I could just see somebody doing that. You know, <laughs> people hate, you know, things that are awkward and tense and, you know, may make somebody feel bad. We want everybody to feel good. And so that's what I'm guessing. We can see it how you want to. Uh, but, uh, you know, that gave Jesus an opportunity to teach a parable that was every bit as awkward as everything he'd said so far. You know, Jesus said, well, yes, but not everybody who thinks they're going will. And he uh, breaks the etiquette again with what he teaches. So uh, 16 to 24. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But 
they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come, so that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Well, so this guy is given a big banquet. He sends prior written invitations and a bunch of people RSVP'd that they'd love to come. And then when the time came, what happened? They all had reasons not to. They couldn't come. You ever done that? Ever fixed a lot of food and invited some people in the last minute they have to beg off? It's kind of a bummer. It's really a bummer if it's like, they don't have a really good reason. <laughs> it's a bummer even if they do. Right? You know, they all got sick or something. You know, it's like I cooked all this food. And we at least have refrigerators and freezers for the food. You know, they didn't have that. You cook food. What are you going to do with it if nobody shows up to eat it? So, I mean, how would we view guests that beg off for maybe not the greatest reasons? Impolite. Yeah, very impolite, insensitive, you know, uh, uncaring. And uh, they're all no-shows. And, and the host is upset. He's angry. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about these items? I mean, some of this is not just totally ridiculous. Uh, you know, I bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. I mean, the ridiculous thing would be, why did you buy the land without looking at it? You know. Uh, but, I mean, buying a piece of land is kind of a big investment. You know, and, well, I bought the five yoke of oxen, and I need to try them out. Well, you can... Isn't that what we do? You know, we buy something and we need to see how to work. And I've married a wife and I cannot come. That may sound like a big excuse, but, you know, I mean, people were exempt from military service for a year after marrying. So, I mean, the Old Testament sort of recognizes some validity in that. I, I, I mean, I, I think perhaps these are not just, just totally like <laughs> But this is a dinner that's so important. But I don't care what the excuse is. It's a bad one. you got to go to this dinner. You said you wouldn't, you need to. No excuses are considered valid. I don't care what it was. It reminds me, uh, there was a man that I uh, worshipped with for several years, for three years in Sao Paulo, um, who had been in the International Church of Christ before he uh, learned the way of God more perfectly. And uh, there... They did a lot of evangelism, and and he was talking about a particular guy he worked with, I think, that every Sunday, you know, before, you know, Friday, Saturday, whatever, invited him to church. Every week, the guy had some excuse. You know, something was going on. Something, 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 something. And it went on for a few weeks like that. And finally, Pedro told him one, one late in the week, one, one week, I'm having this big barbecue at home on Sunday. 
you know, I want you to come. And he's like, sure, I don't have anything going on, I'll be there. <laughs> then Pedro spoke the trap. He's like, man, don't you see what you're doing? I mean, every week I invite you for church, and you've always got something going on. I invite you for the barbecue. There's no barbecue, you know. And it's like, isn't that the way we are? I mean, you know, there's priorities. And there's some things that are important enough. Did you just rearrange your schedule? I mean, you may have bought some land, bought some oxen, married a wife or whatever, but think about this. Where are they? They're at this chief Pharisee's house. These people wouldn't have treated this dinner this way. They, they, they were there. You know, you don't miss a dinner like this. You don't get an invitation like this every day of the week. You go. So it's a banquet. You know, and so, you know, I think that's the lesson in some of this is, you know, this is a top priority. Well, when, when the, the master was angry, he said, go out and get anybody. Bring them in. The streets, lanes, you know, poor, crippled, blind, lame. You know, and here's the thing about these guys. They didn't get invitations like this. They'll come. <laughs> this is this is the best things ever happened to them. You know, they're not all that tied to this life. They don't have anything. You know, and uh, they they've never been on anybody's party list before. And they're not offended to be second-string replacements, you know. Uh, and then, you know, even some, there's still room. And he says, don't take no for an answer. Go anywhere. Make them come. You know, uh, overcome your shyness and scour the countryside and get them in here. I want, I want, I want people to take advantage of this supper. You know, he, and, and so, you know, the other thing that we really see in this then, you know, a couple of things. Who are the best prospects for the gospel? The desperate, not the respectable. And we need to take the gospel to everybody insistently. Preach the word in season and out of season. You know, I mean, God wants people... Look, Think about it this way. You know, if, if you prepared a big, big meal, big feast, man, it's really frustrating for nobody to show up, especially after they RSVP. Look at what God did in preparing the heavenly banquet. Look at Jesus' sacrifice and all the suffering and sacrifice God went through. He wants people to know about it and to come. And he wants us to be going out and getting people to come in and not taking no for an answer. Now, I understand we can't make people. It's not like we can impose it. We don't baptize them done people. But we are entirely too shy about talking about the Lord and, and inviting people to him. You know, I think this really makes you think about this. It makes me think about it. Uh, that, you know, I mean, you take the early Christians. They told people about the Lord. They, they encouraged them. They admonished them. They, they persuaded them to come to Christ. We need to do more of that. Thoughts and comments? It strikes me that none of these reasons are all that good in the sense of it takes a little while to buy a field. It, it's Maybe the five yoke of, yoke of oxen could be an impulse buy. But um, like work betrothals, you know, usually like a year length. You kind of knew it was going to happen. It didn't like sneak up on you when you decided to elope, and and you didn't and you didn't account for 
this banquet in all of these plans? I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think these are the categories that often um, mess us up, trip us up. You know, earthly goods, mm. business, social ties. You know, those are very things that we put ahead of the Lord. When, it, when you think about who the Lord is, then they're extremely ridiculous. They don't always seem ridiculous to us at the time when we're putting them ahead of the Lord. Other thoughts? So he says, go ahead. The last tw- verse 24, For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. How would they have? I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, were there social customs that, if I've got all this leftover food, I'll just give it to everybody? Or mm-hmm. well, maybe they're not going to get a second invite. You know, those who persistently decline to come to God's feast will be for, forever excluded from enjoying it. I mean, this is the, more the door being shut. I mean, you know, here's the problem. You're not missing out on one feast. You're missing out on feasting for the rest of uh, eternity. You know, that's that's the danger. You know, man can't save himself, but he can condemn himself. You know, and, and turning away from the Lord's invitation will do it. Um... Jesus got a lot of mileage out of uh, dinner invitation, don't you think? Wow. I mean, he has the healing and what he said about that, and then the uh, counsel to the guests and to the host, and, you know, the discussion about the Lord's great dinner, and, you know, that that's a lot for uh, one, uh, one, you know, lunchtime visit with the uh, chief Pharisee. Anything else? He repeats the... Those to invite from verse 13, and then the ones that he said go out in uh, 21, the exact same uh, people. Excellent point. I had that in my notes, but I didn't. I right. the poor, the crippled, the lame, and blind, and go out and get the poor, the crippled, the, not the blind, and the lame, but. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so he invites the very one he encourages the host to invite. Yeah. And, and you think about, I mean, think about First Corinthians 1, and not many, not mighty, not many noble, and all that were called. I mean, you know, really, we may struggle in, in finding, you know, successful people in this life that really are eager for the gospel. But there's people in this world who are down and out, and they're going to be a lot more receptive. You know, I mean, that's just the norm. They may not be the people who we want, you know, as we were saying earlier, they may not live right next door if we live in the places where we live, but they're they're in the world and we need to find them. Go out to the highways and the byways. Go wherever they are. You know, that may not be next door, but, it, you know, go to the, the places where people really are willing to listen. Other thoughts or comments? All right, so the next section will be Jesus uh, telling uh, the disciples, uh, you know, what it's going to take to really follow him. He seems to be now journeying with the crowd outside of the uh, chief Pharisee's house, and we'll probably just work on that next week. That's a pretty good stopping point. Um, and I should, actually, I 